hello to the IAOMS community around the world. This is Deborah Zabladil with our final installment of the Fall 2020 podcast series, Lessons Learned from COVID-19 for the OMF Community. I am here today with Professor Joel Ferry from Lille, France, which is Northern France, about 200 kilometers north of Paris. He serves as the chairman of the Department of OMF Surgery at the University Hospital Center of Lille. He also holds a post at the largest university north of Paris as well, and serves on faculty there. My understanding is that Lille is the fourth largest city in France. Is that correct, Professor Ferry? Yes, it's correct. Correct. Wonderful. Well, thank you for being here with us today and really appreciate your time and uh, your willingness to talk to us. Yeah, thank you very much. It's a pleasure for me to give an interview for your mess. Thank you so much. Well, we have um, spent the last, this is the eighth segment of our podcast series, and we have spent the last seven hearing from surgeons from all over the globe. And um, I thought it would be really interesting to end with this conversation with you because um, in, the, in, in France where you are located, our understanding is that it's certainly in, a, in quite a state of shutdown right now. And yeah. um, that it's one of the first um, probably countries, I think Italy, France, maybe a few others that are um, shut down almost to the extent that you were in the spring of 2020. Is that, is that correct? And can you tell us a little bit about sort of the state of where you're at right now? Yeah, that's completely correct. France was one of the most affected uh, country with uh, COVID-19 in Western Europe. Uh, Italy was uh, the first to begin with the infection, and France the second, and then Spain the third. Um, and the number of cases, I think France is in the middle of Western Europe with uh, an average affection, I would say. Um, so we have some experience of this uh, infection and uh, we had the first lockdown during spring and actually we are facing a second one. So how would you compare um, the, the shutdown that you're going through right now to what you experienced in the spring of 2020? Uh, it's, it's, it's a, we have some differences. Uh, first, the lockdown in spring was very, very hard because, in fact, the health authorities have no experience of this disease and they immediately um, put a very, very severe shutdown. And uh, we didn't have any other option. Actually, we have a better knowledge and uh, we probably, well, we have also a new lockdown, but it's a little bit different because in the uh, intensive unit care, we have more experience, so probably we have a better treatment than in spring, despite the fact that uh, the number is very, very high. There are some differences. The first is that uh, we have a lot, a lot of positive cases, but the main reason is because we test a lot. We test a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, that is probably one of the first reasons. Um, and the second thing, we have a better knowledge of this disease uh, that we didn't have in spring. And for instance, actually, we know that 50% of the positive cases are without clinical sign. So, of course, we have more and more cases, so that's very difficult to manage, particularly for the intensive care in the hospital unit, intensive care unit. But also, we know for the uh, 
the intensive care unit, they have a better knowledge how to treat this patient. So we have two things that we have to keep in mind. We have more cases, but we probably treat them better than in spring. That's, well, that's good to hear. Um, do you think it's because the public is more aware and they are being tested earlier? And so when they're, they're not coming to you quite as sick or they're not going into the healthcare system quite as sick? Or no. what would you attribute that to? Well, I, I, once again, so at the beginning, in fact, we didn't know exactly what this disease was. For instance, um, cases that were supposed to be affected, in fact, were not tested. Uh, when they didn't have any clinical sign, uh, we said to them, well, go back at home and uh, remain isolated. And uh, they came back in the hospital just if they had serious sign of a breast defect or whatever you want. And that was a probably a mistake because actually we know that uh, you have to treat them very quickly. And if you do that, you reduce uh, a lot uh, the complication. Mm -hmm. Um, so, if, if you don't mind my asking, what, um, what changed in terms of how you work as an OMF surgeon? That is very, very important because I, um, what I said is it's not for maxillofacial surgery, it's just for the, uh, the, the general treatment of the patient sure. in, the, in, in the hospital. Well, in maxillofacial surgery, during the lockdown, we just kept the the serious cases that we were not able to postpone. I mean, in fact, we just treated infections, serious infections, yeah. trauma, and uh, tumors or cancers. All the other elective surgery were postponed. Yeah. And in fact, when a, post, when a patient had to be treated in a theater, he was systematically tested during the, the spring lockdown. Positive patients were, except in case of very emergency cases, they were treated in a special, uh, they were postponed when they were positive. And of course, very emergency cases were immediately treated, but in a special unit. Mm -hmm. So very emergency cases were treated, even if they were positive, of course. The other cases that could be postponed for a couple of days or a couple of weeks, we postponed them. And the elective surgery were completely uh, post, postponed for, for many months. So then when were you um, starting to conduct elective surgery again? Was it the summer that you were able to be able in to June. do? In, in June. June. Okay. In June. In June. Because the lockdown was for two months and uh, we were able to have new elective surgery in June. Okay. And then when did you start seeing things locked down again this fall, was it early October or prior to that? That was just, uh, well, the, the lockdown was just one week ago. And uh, now we are just to postpone again uh, other elective surgery. I was, okay, I was wondering that. So yeah, you're, yeah. you're sort of back into the, the spot that you were earlier in the year where you're doing exactly. trauma exactly. and infections and yeah. Okay. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So what do you think, you know, as a surgeon, what do you think um, this will do to your patient population? Um, are you, are you all having conversations around 
you know, what it, what it will look like when you fully get back to 100% of your patient load and you're through this, do you think you'll see um, individuals coming in in a worse state than they were or with advanced cancers? Fortunately not, because in fact we, uh, I must say, I think that we did a, a good selection. I mean, people that able to be postponed, they accepted. Some of them were also afraid, so they accepted to be postponed. Some didn't want to come in the hospital. We just probably have seen more serious case of cancer, not because we had postponed them, but just because the patient were afraid to come in the hospital. So they arrived in more serious situation. Sure. That, uh, they should, uh, that they normally uh, would be. We normally, well, yes, exactly. Right. So, what what about protocols? Um, you know, in your office or in the hospital, what um, you know, are you masking? Are you doing social distancing? What what are what are some oh, of yes. the man? What are the mandates in in and around? Oh, oh yes, oh yes. We limited the number of space of patient in the in the office. It depends on the surface we had, but uh, we have to, uh, um, for instance, in my, in my department, we were reminded to have a maximum 50, 50 patients in the office. And uh, we kept a distance for at least one meter, 1.5 meter between each patient. Uh, and so that sometimes a little bit complicated. Um, for, treat, for children, for instance, we just receive one child with one parent. Mm. For disabled patient, that was the same. We have the patient and, and uh, one accompanying person, no more. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. that was difficult to manage. And uh, uh, the patient had to fill up a questionnaire. And when there is a suspicion of COVID-19 infection, um, we uh, ask to do a test before coming, right? And uh, if there is a suspicion, we systematically were dressed. Of course, we were wearing masks and so on, and uh, and shield and uh, all the protocol that is usually that must be usually applied in these cases. So um, th that's yeah. It sounds like you're doing all the right things, and I'm sure it feels more comfortable to the patients as well now because they've you know we're all getting a little bit used to this, and yeah. so it doesn't feel as startling. Do you think patients feel more comfortable? coming in for consultation and for surgery than they did in the spring, um, even for emergency surgeries? Yeah. Do you think there's a greater sense of comfort that they will be safe and not contract the disease in the healthcare setting? Well, actually the patient are of less fear than in spring. Um, that has advantage and disadvantages. Uh, advantages because actually, as I said, the, the, the disease it's much well known even among the population and uh, they realize that this disease doesn't kill everybody. In fact, if you look at the percentage of serious cases, the percentage is very, very low, which is an advantage, but it's also a disadvantage because in another hand, they accept if they have had someone among their relative that was affected, they don't really care compared with what they did in spring. So that is also a disadvantage because we have also to be very careful because uh, some of them 
could be very, very badly affected. So we, they didn't have the fear that they had in spring, um, but it's our responsibility to tell them, well, be careful and respect the rules. Yeah, there's a lot of discussion around the world, certainly in North America, about the fatigue, right? COVID yeah. fatigue yeah. and uh, people getting careless. And even if they're not careless, making deliberate decisions because they are just tired of being home. They're tired of not having life the yeah. way they, they want to live it. So it sounds like mm -hmm. there's a bit of that going on where mm -hmm. you are as well. Yeah, that's the same here. Yeah. So, you know, if you don't mind my asking just, you know, in your role and as a surgeon, just sort of the, um, the stress of going through something like this yeah. now twice. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I've discussed this with a lot of the podcast interviewees uh, and they have mentioned how really that you all are in a pretty dangerous spot because you're going into the oral cavity and yeah. um, you know you're not you know, operating on a toe you're doing something that is very invasive and um, yeah. you know there's a greater chance of spreading so how yeah. do you feel as a surgeon you know how did you feel the first time you were going you know going into the operating room when COVID was spreading and how do you feel now about your work and your own personal safety? Well, I, I must admit it at the beginning is some fear was present among my staff, among doctors working with me, because once again, we didn't know a lot about the disease. But actually, we know, we know it much better. So we are protected. I mean, when we do invasive activities, I mean, when you use, for instance, tool with, with water spreading, you must be very, very careful because this is a, a risk practice. Mm -hmm. So when we do that, we use special shields. Of course, we use special masks. Uh, we, we use special um, uh, clothes and so on and so on. And, and if you do that, because we know very well, actually, the diffusion of the disease, your risk is very, very reduced. And probably you have less risk that when you are in the metro or in a in public transport. That was demonstrated in many, many studies. I mean, it's not at work that you are contaminated, provided that you respect strictly the rule. So actually, there is probably less fear than in spring among the doctors that are treating, um, well, maxillofacial patients. And um, have you seen a lot of clinicians um, contract COVID over the course of the many months? Uh, in my department, uh, there are two residents that were affected uh, at the beginning. At the beginning, um, I'm not sure that they contract the disease in my department. They probably contract it in the emergency uh, um, care unit, you know. Uh, but they were not seriously healed. In fact, they recover within two weeks. Okay. Okay, well, that's good news. But they were very young, young you know. Yes, yes. So um, there's a lot of discussion, um, again, because we're entering winter months in, in many different parts of the world about the flu and yeah. that it's, it's going to complicate, you know, this issue of trying to figure out, you know, really what is happening with a patient. Yeah. Um, do, is, is it the norm that in, um, in the country of France people get flu shots? Is it covered by... Uh, you know the healthcare system is that is that something that is typical? Um, yeah. In, yeah. 
Okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, majority of nurses and doctors uh, get vaccine against the flu because it's quite common in Northern Europe, and it is recommended to have a vaccine uh, to protect you, but also to avoid contamination of patients that are sometimes very ill. And it's free. It's uh, our department that uh, give us the vaccine for free. And then, and then um, the public is also getting flu vaccines, so they're trying to yeah. keep themselves well. Okay. Well, it's depend. Well, it's completely covered by the health insurance when you are uh, older than sixty-five. So mm. generally, the majority of the patient uh, uh, get the vaccine when they are sixty-five. Uh, and other fragile patients, I mean, uh, uh, diabetes patients or, uh, well, cancer patients, they are vaccinated, they get vaccinated. Sure, sure. And what about um, the COVID vaccine? There's a lot of discussion around, you know, yeah. when will there be a vaccine and, um, you know, what does that look like and how long will it take before everyone can get vaccinated? Is that a, is that a robust conversation? In, yes, it is. Uh, yeah. Yes, it is. But actually, uh, the strategy of the French health system, the French health authorities, uh, is to say that uh, we are not sure to get a vaccine in a short time. We probably in the we'll probably get it in um, in spring or later. So we may not, must not adapt our strategy just on the vaccine. We must mm. find another way to be protected. Um, actually, I, as far as I know, some people are already vaccinated in China. Mm -hmm. uh, I think there is a, a lot of uh, studies in UK, and they will probably will have. They, they they are saying that they probably will have a vaccine at the end of, of these years. I know that in Oxford they are working on this vaccine a lot. But actually, in France, we 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 think that we will have a vaccine, perhaps at the end of spring or at the beginning of summer. Um, the, the problem of the vaccine actually is that we don't know exactly what the efficiency will be. Uh, we don't know exactly uh, if, we will, well, if we will be vaccinated with just one shot or if we need two. So that's a little bit complex for the moment. Right, and, and then there's different strains of the virus as well. Exactly, right? exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, you mentioned that um, Lil, which is the town that you um, you live in, you work in, is right near the border of uh, Belgium. Yeah. And in fact, you said, I think you said you're five or six kilometers from Brussels? Yeah, 100 kilometers from Brussels. Okay, so, six, so five six or six, six from the border. Okay. From the border, exactly. Fabulous. So does that add uh, complexity when, you know, France ha has one system with respect to, you know, how it's treating COVID and locking down and social distancing and closing bars and restaurants, and then right over the border, there might be something that's very, very different? Uh, well, Belgium took measures that were more or less similar to France. Mm, so, okay. and at the first lockdown, the border was completely closed, you know. Uh, but the two states uh, had more or less the same rule for the COVID, you know. Actually, we face a lockdown in France and the lockdown is still present in Belgium, but it is more or less the same decision. Okay, great. 
And what about students and trainees? Um, can you speak a little bit about their experience right now? Yeah, well, the student uh, uh, at the first lockdown, they were not allowed to come in the department anymore, not only in our department, but all the studies, you know, were theoretical studies were done online, but they were not allowed to come in the department anymore. When the training, they were obliged, you know, to study in the resident, that was the same. Um, but, uh, well, they also took the same measure than us, and so they were not really um, more affected than uh, the senior doctors. Uh, however, I must say, one of the cause of the large diffusion, or supposed to be of the large diffusion of the COVID-19, actually, is the, uh, the attitude of the students, so that was said in France, because, you know, uh, they don't really respect, you know, you know the, the rules, perhaps because uh -huh. they really think that they are not seriously affected. So they gather, you know, they have uh, evening parties. And uh -huh. uh, this is one of the explanation of the, at least the explanation of the uh, health authority of actually the spreading of the disease. Certainly, Make, makes sense. And we hear those stories from other countries as well, certainly. Mm -hmm. Um, what have you learned throughout, um, you know, this process? So what have you learned? What did you learn through, you know, early lockdown? You were, you were, you know, in the thick of it more than other parts of the world in the spring. And then you came out of it and now you're back in, in you know, a somewhat lockdown state. Mm -hmm. What lessons are you carrying forward? That's difficult to answer. Um, of course, we learned about the disease itself. Uh, but our attitude has changed a little bit. But I think that, for instance, uh, in a certain point of view, we are lucky with this disease because, once again, uh, the mortality rate is a little below. Uh, but probably for the future, and of course for this one, we must be much more careful in the way we treat the patient because we are in an area, we're working in an area where we have a lot of uh, bacteria, virus, whatever you want, and uh, probably we must be more careful in the future with our treatment because we are more or less certain that in the future we could face others' disease that could be much more aggressive. Right. Um, yeah. And that, you know, a, a big lesson to everyone around the world that this exactly. is possible and yeah. probable going forward. Exactly. I think that in the future, well, we still now must be obliged to live with this virus because yes. it's coming to be, uh, we still already have, I think, three or four uh, coronavirus, but uh, more or less the world population is immune to this whole virus. And actually mm -hmm. we face a new one. And uh, for at least a couple of months and probably a couple of years, we will be obliged to live with it. Very wise words. I, one last question for you, if you don't mind. And that is, um, do you have any words of advice or any thoughts that you'd like to share with the community? Yes, I have. I think I, I've, we face probably sometimes two extreme attitudes. I mean, the first is uh, not to consider the virus has something serious. It is something serious because uh, particularly in fragile paper patient, but not only in fragile papers, sometimes in new patient, and you don't know why it could be very serious. And some people are going to die with this virus. So we have to keep in mind that it, could, it can be 
serious disease. And we have a responsibility in order to avoid the diffusion of it. And in the other hand, if we really apply the proper measures, there is no really a serious risk, provided that you protect yourself, you protect your patient, and if you respect the rules, eventually you will probably uh, have a very, very low risk to contract the disease and to diffuse it. So we must be really in the middle. I mean, to be aware that it's a serious disease, but on either hand, if we really uh, follow the rules, uh, it's possible to treat the patient and so on. Well, that's an optimistic way to look at it because, yeah. you know, it's not, it's not overly s simplifying a tough situation, but that if we follow the rules, we, you know, chances are we can stay healthy. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, and absolutely. it has been demonstrated that if you follow the rules, uh, you have a low, very, very low risk to be contaminated. Mm -hmm. um, you generally you are contaminated when you do not follow the rule in a public transport or uh, when you have a party with your friend or your family. It's it's in this situation that you really contract the disease and you diffuse it. There's a lot of discussion right now coming with the holiday season coming up. Um, yeah. Is that a conversation that's happening um, in your part of the world as well? Just about limiting contact and um, really thinking about who you invite into your home, if you invite anyone into your home? Well, actually in France, the rule is to, if, if you have private, well, private dinner, for instance, or whatever you want in your home, uh, the rule is to limit the number up to six, mm. no more. But okay. of course, no one is going to control that. So, right. But I think it's important to follow the rule in order to avoid to diffuse the, the, the virus. And yes, I would recommend it to avoid uh, big gathering, I would say, um, without following any measures. Uh, th the main problem is not to overwhelm the intensive care system because we are sure right. that more or less uh, we will have a large contamination of the virus. But the problem is the, uh, the capacity of the uh, um, intensive care units. If, if you have a very big peak in, in whenever, in whatever country you are, the, the health system would not be able to face, you know. And do you feel that you are um, better now than you were before in terms of pr protective, personal protective equipment and all of those oh, essential yes. items? Yeah, yes, exactly. Well, I don't know how, how, well, I think the situation was not the same in the different countries, but we must admit that in France, at the first peak, uh, we uh, we are running out masks and uh, and whatever you want to be protected. Well, for many reasons, because the demand all over the world was so huge that mm -hmm. uh, the production coming from China and India mainly, you know, uh, was not sufficient. So we we face at that time a lack of masks, a lack of uh, well, hydrocolics. Uh, solution and, and so on and so on. Actually, this is not the case. We have uh, everything we want, but uh, at, at the beginning, that was a little bit complicated. Well, that, that's, that's also an optimistic turn of events for the second <laughs> time around, I hope. Uh, yeah. Yes, I, I hope, but uh, I hope. We are much more prepared, but uh, in another hand, the winter coming is probably also yeah. Uh, seasons that we all uh, would say um, let the virus diffuse much more quicker. 
Yeah, yeah, put, puts you at a disadvantage, certainly, and puts all of us at a disadvantage, entering, yeah, exactly. entering a long winter. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, Professor Ferry, thank you so much for uh, being part of this podcast. It was uh, really great speaking with you. I know that your colleagues around the world appreciate your wide, wise words and your uh, experience having gone through this twice. So uh, thank you so much. I wish you um, well and that you stay healthy. Thank you. Thank you once again for listening to the IAOMS podcast series. IAOMS members receive additional benefits such as access to the IJOMS, educational resources, reduced rates for conferences, and more. To join or renew your membership, please visit www.iaoms.org. Keep up to date with our weekly podcast by following IAOMS on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for the latest news.